0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Under the Radar SFF Books Podcast. I'm your host, Blaze, as always. And today, I have another author interview for you. I am joined by Mark Timoney, author of the Eye of Eternity series. And earlier this year, I should say, maybe probably a month ago, he actually released a novella in that world called Star- Starbinder. So, Mark, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for joining me. Hi, thank you for having me. Great uh- to be here. It's, it's always a pleasure. And before we get into it, I just wanted to thank you again for joining us for the Curse of the Myths Wraiths live chat and podcast episode. If you guys haven't listened to that, it's my previous uh, episode, so go and check that out. Uh, that was just a lot of fun. I know you and I like gushing about Janny's work uh, to the oh, world. Oh,
1: absolutely. If you haven't read Curse of the Myths Wraiths or any of Janny's work, work, go get it.
0: Pick <laughs> it up. <laughs> and you can definitely tell that Jani's had a tremendous influence on you in writing uh, your world. But before mm-hmm. we get into that, how did you decide that you wanted to become a writer? What was that first aha moment when you realized that maybe I should try doing something myself?
1: Um, it was way back in the fifth grade. And I had obviously been reading prior to, to that time. But um, a lot of it was um, kids' books and stuff that we were given for school reading. And in the fifth grade, I started at a new school that channel for high school. So um, it started in the fifth grade, fifth and through into year seven through to year twelve. Um, and when I joined the school, I you know went to the library. It's one of the things I do. I've always loved being around books. Um, and in the library, I discovered. Uh, Dragonlance, The Dragon's Horde and Twilight by Margaret Weiss and Trace Eakman. And that book changed my world in terms of writing. I didn't know that there were books out there like that before, so I hadn't had come across Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit prior to that. I picked up that book and this was like all my my imaginations um, come to life. Dragons, knights, wizards, magic powers, gods, all that sort of stuff. I was like, wow, this is amazing. And I basically never looked back, but it was reading those books and having them, well, just having them be uh, like the stuff that I'd fantasized or imagined um, in my head come to life on the page that I was like, this is a thing and this is what I want to do. I want to put these ideas I have in my head onto a page, into a story I want to write. So I think my first attempt at writing was early Dragonlance fan fiction um actually and then of course I um moved on and I read well not moved on I still read uh, read all of Dragonlance but I discovered Magician um David Edding's books I think my aunt bought me the sort of Shannara which I uh, was amazing as well um and I read Dune and all those things and having read um magician and everything I could get my hands under the rift War. when the empire trilogy came out, it blew me away. And then I was like, who is this person? Jenny words. And went looking for her stuff and uh, what was available in Australia at the time. And I've been reading her ever since. And then of course, um, in the early nineties, I found the wheel of time. Well, the eye of eternity, uh, the, eye of eternity the eye of the world, <laughs> um, <laughs> at the library and that for me took all my desires up another step in terms of writing and wanting to do that what Jordan did on the page for myself as well so yeah it was early days and it was I don't know I honestly I you know maybe maybe it's a calling but um when I discovered it I was like this is what I want to do. This is what I want to write. I want to make people feel the way I feel when I read these books. I want to do this. And I want to world build. I love world building.
0: So, Well, definitely in the style of uh, Robert Jordan, you do a lot of world building in the first book, The Blood of the Spear. And for those of you who've read it and those of you who are thinking about reading it, the the homage you pay to, especially The Wheel of Time, is riddled throughout um, the story. And I couldn't get enough of it. I have read The Wheel of Time. It's a very, very great series um i did have to use the audiobooks because sometimes especially the mm. middle books kind of like dragged my eyes a little bit so i mm. needed to push through the slog as everyone yeah kind of like likes to call it but
1: try reading them as they were released so those middle books the slog fest in the middle some of those really upset me <laughs> just waiting for you know you want something to happen and it feels like it's moving in a snail's place and nothing's happened. Um, but yeah, I have since reread them on the audios and the audios are just amazing. Um, Michael Kramer and Kate Redding are fantastic. Uh, just, yeah, of them.
0: Yeah, so, you, so you're so you the Wheel of Time fan who agrees that the slog, the slog exists. Mm-hmm. I've oh, across, absolutely. Came across some fans who don't believe it. Yeah, no, 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 absolutely. I think for
1: me, it was from... Books. It was probably through books eight, nine, and ten, I think, mm-hmm. that I found the most sluggish. Sadly, I felt that Jordan found his rhythm again in the last book he wrote before he passed away. Um, I was like, "Wow, we're back on track." And then, uh, yeah, unf- unfortunately, um, yeah, we didn't get any more. That was. He'd been such a big part of my life for so long, and in terms of fantasy, um, a really yeah obvious uh, obvious influence. And one of the things that I that had always excited me was, Oh, when we get to the end of the Wheel of Time, I can't wait to see what he does next, sort of thing. Um, so that was a shame um, on many levels. Um, but yeah, the slog does exist. I think the story just became too big. I'm totally appreciative of that. Um, writing, working on book two, I've noted myself that. Whereas in in The Blood of the Spear, we follow the cast of characters together through the majority of the book. By the end of it, they kind of have split a bit. And in book two, I'm writing um, their stories separate to each other. So I'm like going, oh, these are like their own stories within a story. And where I wrote book one, each chapter um, in chronological order, sequentially, this book, I'm like, stopping and starting and i'm actually losing momentum when i do it in my just in terms of my my, my, uh, my own writing so i'm now moving in i've written the first six chapters and i'm now moving into right okay i'm just going to focus on this character's chapters and get all of their story done and then i'll focus on the other and then i'll mix and match them and put them together so um with a project the scope of will of time yeah i can absolutely appreciate that things needed to happen and maybe they weren't as exciting. Oh, they weren't as exciting as other things, but he was also going through a lot of health issues too. So kudos that he got anything written, to be honest. Yeah.
0: It was a shame of his early passing, but Mm. for what it's worth, I believe Brandon Sanderson finished it as best as probably anyone could besides Jordan himself. So yeah, he did a phenomenal job. What drew me to blood of the spear when I, when I first read it was you give homage to like, earlier generation and it has like a classical fantasy type of feel you start with Mm -hmm. um, you start with a prophecy and the new new way of of doing things with prophecy and actually robert jordan probably made this famous was you write the prophecy but it's not always what you how it's written and what it intends to be i know janny in the wheel uh in um wars of light and shadow she plays with that also john Mm -hmm. gwen in his books plays with that what did you have in mind when you wrote that that prophecy and did you always know that it was going to not be entirely the way you uh, it's set on the paper?
1: Yes. I, okay. So answer the last question first. Yes, I always knew it wasn't going to be entirely the way it was set on paper. The idea is that the prophecy tells you what's going to happen, but in such a way that until you get there, you don't have the context for it to fully grasp what's going on. Um, and also, I wanted to play with the idea that there's a huge amount of time has passed between when the prophecy was first issued or scribed or read or came to, to to pass, and the time that it's actually happening. So I wanted there to be some um, over the years um, misunderstanding about what it actually meant. So I wrote it. Well, I wrote it in such a way that there could be a couple of meanings to it one the meaning of what i what i know it to be (laughs) um and then what at face value it looks like on the page i was also i'm also a big player of world of warcraft and in their legion expansion they brought in um some elder gods and there was one particular elder god that had um would give lots of prophecies and these prophecies were would be really obscure. It's like, what the hell does that mean? You know, the, the, uh, the diamond King has become a pawn and all of this. And it's like the old forum pages of people trying to work out what it means and what it references. And then later you see them actually happening. It's like, Oh, okay. So that's what they did when they were referencing this and they use this symbolism to mean that, and without, getting to the other side, you kind of weren't able to put it together unless you were really clever at, at puzzling and symbolism. So I was like, kind of do stuff like that as well. Um, and I had my basis when I started writing, and I started writing this many years ago. But by the time we got to the third or fourth, well, probably fifth or sixth draft, and I was getting closer to publishing, was when I actually clarified exactly the, what the prophecy was going to be and how it should be written for the book.
0: And for those of you who don't have a physical or an e-copy of it, I thought I would just read the prophecy uh, for you, (laughs) just a taste of what Mark had in mind. So, When the bronze spear returns, the empress will come again. Seek him in the sacred flame. Find him in the shadowed heart. The forge of the morning shall be his pyre. The path of stars will light his way. He will hold a sword of glory, wearing a crown of lies. Born once the savior... And twice the destroyer, five aspects he will claim, two halves a whole. The phoenix will grow, but only one will hold the seal. So, short one, but it holds a lot, lot of foreshadowing, <laughs> more than just in, <laughs> in this book. So.
1: Wrote that, and now I've got to make sure I hit all those points moving forward in the story.
0: <laughs> yeah, just have it in the background as you're writing each each chapter of Book Two and so on. Um, yeah, just just. To, to get a little bit more information is how many books are planned in this um, series? So I don't think we ever talked about seven, seven books in this series. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And how many, uh, (laughs) how many novellas are you planning on releasing? with that?
1: Um, Well, at the moment I have an idea for a standalone story. That's kind of a sequel to Starbinder. So which would also be a prequel to this, but a prequel novel Um, and a little bit closer. So it would be closer to the start time for blood of the spear i do have another idea for an for another novella but my big my big thing and i suppose this isn't really a problem because i'm not under contract to a publishing company so i could do whatever i want um is well when do i actually stop writing the main series and give myself time to write and produce the novella this is, um i'm not 100 percent sure when the next novella or even the um, standalone story will come out should possibly do one or both of them after I finish book two but yeah I'm, I'm not 100% sure <laughs> but I know there are se- definitely seven books in the Eye of Eternity main series um, there's definitely a standalone story I want to write that is still prequel stuff but we- can also be read as a story by itself you know getting to the end of that hopefully it would make you want to read the eye of Eternity series to see what happens you know with all the stuff um that goes on in that one and then the other novella that I'm thinking of would be complementary to some um aspects that I want to introduce in the end of book two maybe more book three so maybe it's best that that novella get written between the end of book two and book, the beginning of book three
0: um we'll see <laughs> We shall see. <clears throat> and with that, why don't we talk about the blood of the spear? So mm-hmm. the main story if, focuses around primarily two brothers. We have Kyle and we have uh, Darian. Um, yep. Kyle, is that how you spell it? Ky- Kyle. Pronounce
1: I pronounce it Kyle, but oh, Kyle, Kyle is fine. Yeah.
0: yeah. And I shall pronounce it Kyle. So, okay. First chapter. There's a little bit of a little bit of a spoiler, but not really. So first chapter, Kyle. Um, fails his initiation trial to join the the bronze guard instead sorry to join the uh, demon hunters and then he joins the bronze guards going on a a quest so yeah so basically and then you have his brother um, darian who is um, a Soralis mage user and he's being trained Mm -hmm. in in the citadel so you have two like classic uh, tropes. You have the warrior and then you have the mage, but what you do great is you, you kind of play with those a little bit. Cause you would think like the, the warrior is just like a brute and he's just strong and you wouldn't think he'd be so smart, but Kyle is very, very smart. And conversely, Darren, you think is the mage user. You think he's just very, very smart, but he has like a lot of hidden strengths to him as well. Um, I love how you play with those, those tropes. You don't, it's not exactly um, straight shooter down the line uh, as probably a lot of people intend, thought it was going to be
1: yeah thanks um yeah so with kyle i thought yes he's intelligent but he's also a little naive Mm -hmm. and there's a bit of growing up that he needs to do but they've been living in this borderland community that's like a long way away from the rest of uh the civilization so they're not exposed to a great deal of things outside of their village community the citadel um so worldliness is not part <laughs> of, of um, their makeup um, but that will ha- what they go through during the course of the story I hope will add to that and deepen um, and grow their characters. Darian was my quintessential uh, dark brooding misunderstood kind of uh, studious nerd <laughs> um, type character who uh, was originally apprentice to the um, Citadel's keeper, who is uh, is a witch, Um, but when Prince Alessander comes visiting the Borderlands and has in tow his um, Sorrelis mage advisor, Darian's like, oh, the Sorrelis are more powerful than the Keepers, and offer greater opportunity, and he was naturally drawn to Tilak and um, basically became his assistant-slash-helper-slash-apprentice um, with an eye to becoming an initiate of the um, of the seralis order um, or an aspirant as they're called in our in this world and so uh, that was the the dynamic between Kyle and Darian so they're half brothers. I was partly inspired by um, well, Jani with um, Lysaia and Arathan and also um, Dragonlance with the twins, Karaman and Raslin, Majere. But then as I was looking into it or t- thinking about it more, I also saw parallels coming up for me um, between Thor and Loki. So um, I kind of played with all of those things. And Kyle and Darian have very distinctive paths that they have to go on. Um, so there's an underlying theme of separation and reunification in the um, the greater story as well.
0: So just a little bit of background as to the world building. Um, many centuries ago, there was a great um, sundering, which basically mm-hmm. it split the continent in half. I wish you guys could see yep. the map that I'm showing. it's ex- it's brilliantly done. As um, the bronze guard, they're they're going on this quest they come across demons and then throughout it i'm not going to spoil anything it's discovered that kyle and darian are descendants of an ancient forgotten um bloodline and then that just mm-hmm. propels the plot um forward and takes it into a place i didn't think it was going to go i just love gotcha. being surprised and um you definitely, <laughs> have, you definitely hid those from me i mean guess going into it did you have the whole um plot and all the twists and turns pre-planned ahead of time or? Was it something like as you were writing it, you realized, no, this is this would be better if it goes here, or I didn't realize that this would happen.
1: Um, it was more I didn't realize this would happen. So I've in my this is not the first novel I've attempted to write. And in prior attempts, I had plotted to an nth degree and then got to the end of plotting and was like, Well, now I've done the story, I don't feel like writing it anymore. So I'm a bit of a I like to have an outline of where I want to go, but I also don't like plotting to a detailed extent because part of the fun for me is the discovery as I'm going along. So the whole um, panzer and planter ideal, I guess I'm a bit of both. Um, what I tend to do is, and I had spoke to Elizabeth Moon once, I used to work in a bookstore where we had authors come in, science fiction fantasy bookstore, and she was visiting Sydney and she came in and did a, um, a signing there. And we were speaking to her um, about writing and her process, and she described it as she has it's like going for a walk um, in the mountains and you start on one um, the side of one mountain you look across the outlook and you can see the far side of the valley and that's where you want to go, but the valley floor itself is covered by mist. And maybe there's a hilltop that you can see the top of, and you're like, okay, I want to get there, and then we'll move over that section and go across to get over there. But because of the mist, you don't actually know all the terrain you're going to be walking through. So you've got this idea, you can see the main parts that you need to get to, and you go off walking, and as you go into the valley and you go through the mist, you discover the rest of it. And that's basically what I have with... So I have in the series, I've got the, I started with the two characters. So I had Colin D'Arian and they actually came to me based on a um, artwork by Larry Elmore that I saw, which was a knight um, fighting a um shaman type figure in the snow and I was like who are these people where'd they come from um what's the story how'd they get there and that's where Carl and Darian started coming up because I instantly thought oh they're brothers and why would they be fighting and um so I had them and then it was like the world well, what's going on and I had the ending of the story in my head and then I went back to like well where'd they come from with what's the beginning and moved my way forward so when I started writing blood of the spear I um, had a couple of different prologues uh, I even had very different first chapter or first couple of chapters originally but that gave me the um, the time uh, to get to know the characters a bit better on page before I um, refined the story and then I got points it's like okay so you've seen the battle on the front the front cover I had that in my head this one as a point I wanted to get to um, I had that I know they have to flee the borderlands, the point that I wanted to get to when they arrive in a, a pirate town. And then I had the la the ending of the story in my head too. Um, and everything else in between was kind of discovered on the fly, as I just let the characters react on the page. Um, so I would often when I was re- when I read. Other books and if I'm not enjoying it or I don't agree with what the authors run I'll have fights in my head with what they should have done and how a character should have said something I'll create whole reams of dialogue (laughs) so that's what I do when I'm writing I'll get a notepad out and I'll start writing point by point like um, line response line response and how i create my dialogue and then I grab it and whack it onto a word document and put everything around it Um, and as I went With the writing, it just grew. Things got refined, things got chopped, things got moved around. Um, Originally, there were some characters you meet in the middle of the book, were introduced at the beginning, and I had finished writing a draft and realized, you know what, I want to take them out of the beginning and have them meet in the middle, it makes more sense, it'll be more impactful. And then going back and rewriting that and it was like pulling thread from a rug or something. It's so difficult. They're so in, interwoven into every single scene. And you have to pull all of that out and make sure that you've um, filled in all the blanks. So things changed as I went along, but um, that's where uh, some of the excitement for me comes from. I got to the end and towards the end, you come across a sholmas priest. And originally, he wasn't a Sholmas priest at all. He was something else entirely. And then when I was like, no, no, he should be a Sholmas priest of this Sholmas, he reference referenced at the very beginning. And then all of a sudden, I was like, oh, my God. And that makes so much sense because then this means that and that connects here and this goes over there. And, like, I hadn't planned any of that. And as soon as I made, my head had been bubbling away somewhere in the subconscious. And as soon as I made that choice of like, oh, we should do it like this. I saw all the, all the connecting points just like started shining in my head on a, like on a map. I was like, oh my God, yeah, all of this works. And it means this. And for me, it added much more depth to what I had been doing. And I was like, yay me, let's go. <laughs>
0: it's a great process. And I, I actually loved the ending. I was very surprised prize and those are the types of endings I, I love. I love to read. Excellent. <laughs> um I'm glad you actually mentioned um the prologue because yeah, it's, yeah, uh the prologue it's very different from like the first several chapters in in the story. It's it almost yeah. seems like you're reading a different book and I realize you said you went back and forth with some several different versions of the prologue. Um mm-hmm. without spoilers, could you just explain the process of why and you wanted to put that particular um, chapter uh, as, a, as a prologue as opposed to just starting with Kyle and Darian?
1: Yeah, so I'm a big lover of prologues.
0: Okay.
1: <laughs> I love them. I think they're great. Um, I don't understand people who don't like them, although I, I admittedly some prologues can be done poorly. So I wanted to make sure that what I started with at the beginning tied into the rest of the story. And the characters you meet in the prologue are actually really important to the wider world. So I felt getting an understanding or getting a glimpse of both how the what the prophecy is impacting or how it might impact, and that Carl and Darian and friends aren't alone and... Um, And what's going on with them is not impactful in the wider world. I thought it was really important to show. So there were a couple of variations. There was one prologue that actually showed the event of the Sundering, which was the end of the War of the Summoners 3,000 years prior that split the continent. Um, There was one prologue that showed stuff with Prince Alessander. And there was another one or different iterations of the the event of the sundering which now no longer even relevant to the rest of the story um but ultimately i felt that introducing the well you can pretty much work it out in the in the prologue um, but they're um remnants of the <laughs> the sundering war the war of the summoners um at the beginning uh, gave more depth and added more to what was going on behind the scenes? What were these forces after them that aren't um, human political factions? Like why? Um, there was also a lot of world building and info dumping in the earlier drafts that got taken out uh, by the by the end. So I, I felt it was important that there was some I don't know, anchor to a larger um, uh, and supernatural in, in some ways, although. The supernatural is more a um, urban fantasy type reference uh, to the the bigger picture of the story. So that's that's why I started there, and it was written probably the last. It was probably the newest thing I'd written in the course of my writing before I would put that out there. So stylistically, it is probably, or even prose wise, it's probably stronger, and maybe doesn't quite <laughs> meld with um the the um the rest of the book. But um that's just uh, a matter of my my style of writing I don't know is improving I'm, I'm finding my voice and it is different to the rest it's um again a homage to Wheel of Time which is undeniably been a massive influence um it's interesting because when I'm reading through it um and certainly as I'm doing my reread of um jenny's back catalog I'm realizing oh there's a lot more of other writers influencing what i'm doing than just or robert jordan too so it's interesting that people are like oh yeah it's wheel of time it's wheel of time i'm like mm,
0: yeah it is but it's also these other things too no, it's definitely wars of light and shadow as as well yeah. and of you haven't read it you'll cycle see. cycle of it. fire i haven't read that yet but i i oh I okay all right it's on my list um, so hopefully that's given every, all you listeners um, an idea of what the, the Blood of the Spear is like, and hopefully you'll pick it up. But we also have a new novella that you released about a month yeah. or so ago, Starbinder. Uh, why, don't you yep. give, why don't you tell the listeners what that is all about and how it, it, it's a loose novella connected to to The Eye of Eternity. Yeah,
1: so that was actually, it started life as the very first prologue I ever wrote for The Blood of the Spear. It is about a young girl who is fated to become a important player in the sh- amongst the Shalloway Starbinders, which is an ancient order um, of what seems to be magic users. Um, they are a little bit more. In fact, if you've ever read Walls and Light and Shadow, I've taken a lot of the Korea theme <laughs> from that for um, the Shalloway, um, but That's not a in terms- yeah, well, it's in, not in terms of uh, call the Coriothane the of Light, shadow villains, um, but uh, the Shalloway aren't so much. They're more um, keepers of, of old human knowledge, because um, humans are not um, native to Sobia, the planet that the Eye of Eternity um, takes place on. And the Shalloway had a role prior to the Sundering of Law Keepers, uh, advocates, um, healers, um, some were seers, um, but they were more advisors um, than anything else. And this prologue was about a young girl who is, like I said, destined to become, to play an important role in the Shalloway, um, specifically with the return of a, or the, the birth again of an emperos. Now the is the most powerful of summoners, um, and always, and is the name of the leader of the summoners. So it's not like a messiah figure. Come again? It's more that someone, and throughout history, people with the ability to summon do get born. Um, they are often executed because um, humanity is just so scared of one demons being summoned again, or another sundering happening that they. Basically, it's a death sentence. They don't, you know, you sh- thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. Same type of thing with um, summoners. So there, there are these prophecies that um, the demon queen, um, who was um, the one who attempted the summoners that caused the war of the summoning and all the demons to, to um, flood the world, would come again. She would try to to return to, um, to Sobia, to Athme, and that an emperors would be born to fight against her. And this young girl is uh, destined to um, take a, a large role in the shallow way and to help that empros find their way um, in the future. So the story is about her early days before she becomes a summoner and the actual part, the, the actual events that lead to her induction into the Order. Um, and at the end of it, it leaves a lot of things out like there's resolution in the story because it's all meant, only meant to be an introduction to this character um and give anybody who hasn't read blood of the spear if there's th- people who go back and read starbinder have a little have had a little gasp moment at the end um people who haven't read starbinder uh, blood of the spear first won't have that gasp moment but that's okay because it still does what it's meant to, which is give you that introduction and give you a little bit more grounding. So when you pick up Blood of the Spear, you're like, "Oh, I get, an I have an idea already of what's going on in this world."
0: Yeah, it's
1: it, it's basically that.
0: <laughs> well, I I definitely enjoyed it, and you do not need to have read Blood of the Spear first in order to enjoy it. It's its own little it's its own little story, and it's just yeah, it's a great little novella and great introduction to your world. Um, hopefully that was. That took you not as much time as I know it took you to write, Blood of the Spear and your current work.
1: Yeah, it didn't take me as much time. That was, I mean, it's only uh, on the the novella is what 124 pages or something. Um, it was a lot smaller than um, uh, Blood of the Spear. In fact, I've written more of Book Two. Then I have that. What I've written a book to is actually longer than what, what the novella was. So no, it didn't take me that long. And like I said, I had the basis. There was a lot of rewriting to be done because I had written the original prologue was omniscient narration. So there was more changing all of that to be more tight third person, um, and bringing the lore and the magic and the the cha- my changed understanding of what the Shalloway were. Um, and how their order was structured um, into it. And then bringing in some of the um, the differences in the Ave or the Dash Ave. Uh, the Ave are mentioned in Blood of the Spear in passing and their role will increase, um, become more relevant as the story progresses. So this is kind of like also gives you a little bit of um, a glimpse at what the Ave who are uh, Fall prey to the powers of the void um what they become or what they become like um, while also feeding into the whole uh, mythology of the fae and tricksters and stuff like that
0: lovely we know well we know you're hard at work on book two I'm not going to press you on <laughs> how how that's uh, going along but hopefully we get some Hopefully you will get some uh, resolution to that uh, in due time. Uh, I just yeah. had one more um, question for you, and this is kind of a unique mm-hmm. question because I don't normally talk to um, people from Australia. Is like, do, do you have any um, Australian authors who you recommend um, other people give a, give a try? Because the only two I know besides you are um, David Hare is um, Moonlight Quartet. And I believe um, Sean's, uh, what's his name? The Justice of Kings, Sean. um, Uh, Justice of Kings, really? Yeah, I believe he lives in Australia. I didn't know that.
1: Um, Yeah, so um, other Australian authors that I would recommend people look at are um, Karen Miller. Um, She's, I think most of her stuff is still in print, at least on ebook, Orbit printed her overseas jennifer fallon she's pretty she's fun the big one in the uk for us who's big in the uk and i think in the us as well is trudy canavan mm-hmm. um kate forsyth her witches of uh, uh witches of ellen El- or something like that i'm probably butchering that name she did a trilogy i uh, sorry she did a series of five books and a sequel Wool trilogy and that she's gone on to do other stuff since and one of my faves who's was traditionally published in the late 80s early 90s and had some others done in the early probably 2010s is Tony Shilato and you can find his books um his early books he's republished himself and they're available on Amazon um but Tony Shilato he's pretty amazing i would definitely say um go pick him up and um yeah karen miller um is also a favorite well
0: i just wrote those down definitely have to give those <laughs> definitely have to give those um all a try. yeah
1: check them out especially yeah. um under the radar books
0: <laughs> yeah that's why i wanted yep. to ask definitely in that yep. same spirit yep. um so yeah so i think that's that's all thank you so much for joining me um mark why don't we tell Thank the uh, listeners uh, where they can find you, where they can find your your work and your and your website?
1: Yeah, sure. Well, I'm really easy to find. It's just marktimony.com. Uh, I'm also on Twitter under Mark Timony. I'm on Instagram under Mark Timony. Um, and there are links on all those profiles to all my other stuff uh, or other places. Uh, if you sign up for my newsletter on my website, you will get a the um Starbinder ebook for free um, downloadable so if you want to feel like giving it a try or giving um, the eye of eternity try you can do it for free to sign up to the newsletter um,
0: yeah mark too many <laughs> yeah google it. simple as that right <laughs> yep thank you so much mark this has been a pleasure cheers everybody awesome